All right, we're back here kicking off the 5 o'clock hour. Back to the national championship game. A look back at last night. Villanova cuts down the Nets, their second title in three years. And we'll also look forward to next season. Joining us right now, bloggingthebracket.com, part of SB Nation, our good buddy Chris Dobertine. We talked to him all throughout the course of the season and a great guy to have on to put a cap on 2017-2018. What's happening, Chris? Uh, just uh, getting ready. They're, they're, we don't really stop resting now that the season's over. we got to get ready for next year, so I'm already working on non-conference schedule stuff for, for 2018-19. Well, that that is a great place to start. We'll get into the game, but since you brought that up, Jim knows, and, and Jim might get a little annoyed at times. I freak out about confer- in non-conference scheduling in college basketball. <laughs> I, I think that... Almost That's putting it mildly. <laughs> across the board, there are so many coaches that do, frankly, a terrible job of putting together a non-conference schedule. Now, we're going into the year, you know, Loyola, with this surprise run. you got to figure mm-hmm. there might be some teams that are willing to play them. There are other teams that maybe are looking to buy themselves out of a contract. As we sit here right at the end of the season, how much of a team, say your standard power conference team, how much of their schedule is already set, and how much work, how many games usually are there still to be had at this point before those uh, schedules start to trickle out in July? Really, at this point, you're kind of looking at somewhere between one-third to three-quarters. It's a pretty big range, depending on how many home-and-homes you had, Mm -hmm. how many contracts you kind of had sitting out there, how many games you have left over. Like I'm thinking about Florida, for example, which is obviously a situation I'm pretty close to in terms of knowledgeability, and right now they're kind of at about halfway there. Okay. So, you know, things are really going to start piling up, and and you'll see it. You'll see the first ones come out probably in the next month or so, but for some teams it takes so long that you don't get an uncommon schedule until October. Right. So, So that's how much of a variation you get. And honestly, I think, you know, thinking about the Big Ten in particular, that's one conference that really just has to do a little bit better job, mm-hmm. especially when you consider the difficulties teams like Nebraska and Penn State had getting into the field or not getting into the field. You know, they're going to have to do a little bit harder work coming up, you know, to actually make sure that doesn't happen again in 2019. We d- had conversations uh, when the selection committee didn't really take a lot of mid-majors. They only took really conference uh, champions from their mm-hmm. uh, conference tournament games. Do you think that that might change? There was a lot of conversation that if Loyola would have gotten beat, that they probably wouldn't even have gotten into the tournament. Do you think that something can be done where they may take a a, a, a better look, I guess, to say, uh, at mid-majors? I would like to think they would, but the one thing that really kind of keeps me thinking that they won't is the fact that they don't really want to consider what's happened in the past. They want to take each season kind of as its own individual picture. You know, I would think, you know, you'd want to actually give those mid-majors the benefit of the doubt because they aren't getting those opportunities against power conference teams necessarily. And, you know, you see it year in, year out. You all you typically see at least one mid-major make a nice little run. And in the case of Loyola, as you mentioned, you know, they were sitting there on a line 11, but they were behind every single at-large team in the pecking order. So if they had lost that Arch Madness final, they probably, they indeed would not have made the field. So, you know, you kind of have to think on the flip side that you want to give a team like that some credit for what they were able to do having a, a, a nice season, even though they didn't have the non-conference, the marquee wins that the at-large teams are going to be able to get and they're going to be able to, you know, have, you know, to bank on for their selection. 
but I'm not sure it's actually going to happen just because the track record of the, of the committee has been really bad, in particular over the past three or four seasons, in giving mid-majors the benefit of the doubt. Chris Dobertine joining us, bloggingthebracket.com. We're taking a look uh, at the future, and let's take a look back at what happened last night. Villanova, that dominating performance. They run through the tournament, averaging uh, wins by over 17 points per game. What we saw last night, a, a surprise at all to you, or, or is it kind of what you expected, just the dominating fashion? Even when Villanova didn't play they, their best, they still win by 17. I thought it would be a little bit closer. I thought Michigan would have, you know, had it, you know, within their grasp in the final five minutes, and then Villanova might have overwhelmed them just, you know, having that, you know, that extra depth and that little extra offense that they had. The thing that really kind of stood out to me, though, looking, especially looking at Ken Palm right now, you know, Michigan was up 21-16, 10 minutes in, and that's kind of when they hit that spot where they went about five minutes without hitting a field goal, and I tweeted at that point and said, if they don't – if it, they lose this game. They're going to look back and regret that five minutes because Villanova was not really able to do anything then either, but they could not simply extend that lead. And then at that point, you know, Villanova in the second half of the first half, you know, outscored them 21 to seven, you know, had a nice lead going into halftime and then just continued to, to put the pedal down in the second half. And I really think that if Michigan had done a little bit better job in the first half of taking advantage of Villanova's struggles, they might have had a better shot. But granted, you know, Villanova was not the, the offensive juggernaut they were on Saturday. But boy, did they, you know, especially in that first half of the second half, they really just kind of, you know, turned that switch back on. And that made it very difficult for Michigan, who was not, you know, doing a great job in hitting three-pointers, 3-23 three for the game. That really put the game away. They didn't have that option on the offense. And that really made it difficult for them to claw out of that hole. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo was the uh, MVP, and, and rightfully so. Uh, but he had scored 30 points uh, in a game during the regular season, so a productive output by that kid uh, was not uncommon on the offensive side. Be honest with you, I thought the block was even more spectacular than anything else that he did, the three-point shooting, the drives to the basket, the dunk. I, I thought the block really cemented cemented him as a real star of that game. Where were you on that? Yeah, even though, you know, you could make the argument that that was actually a goaltend and not a block, and, you know, if we actually had a little bit more review in college basketball, which I know people are really torn about because reviews in college basketball, as it is right now, don't really go all that well, and they take a whole lot of time, you know, that might kind of, you know, uh, sully that reputation of that, of that particular block, but, yeah, he, he really showed up in a game when, you know, Jalen Brunson didn't have a great game. Omari Spellman didn't have a great game. Really, you know, Michael Bridges was really pretty much the only other really key performer for Villanova who actually, you know, had pretty much an A game last night. So, so having Dante DiVincenzo really just kind of make that effort to kind of take the championship well, hello, you know, really makes him the, a very, very worthy MVP for the Final Four. It was uh, an incredible run out of this group. And in a historical context now, they become, I believe, the fourth program over the last 30-plus years to win two titles in three years. 
Where do you put this Villanova team, this program, what they've done over the last three years? How do you rate them? Uh, they're maybe uh, a Spellman suspension away from a year ago as he wasn't able to play as a freshman to yeah. even have a bigger run here. I don't think they lose to Wisconsin with him out there, but that's a different conversation. Where do you put this uh, Villanova run? I think it's among the best, especially when you're kind of in this era and you kind of think about you know people talking about there were no really great teams this year. And you think about the parity that we have, the wild first two weekends of, of the NCAA tournament where they had, and we ended it with just complete domination by Villanova, not only this weekend, but throughout their six games that they played. And you're right, you know, if you, you have Spellman playing against Wisconsin last year, that game completely changes. They probably end up winning the East region, you know, knocking Florida and South Carolina out in, in the regional. And then you're looking potentially at them being in the final four three consecutive years in a row, or three years in a row. And, and, and Jay Wright's position, you know, the, the argument with Jay Wright now is, you know, if you get them out of that first weekend, there's no stopping them because, you know, two of the last three years, you know, they've, you know, been able to dominate, been able to get through all those games and been able to cut down the nets. And I think that, that they really are kind of the hallmark right now of what college basketball should be. Uh, we're having a great conversation right now. Chris Dobertine, uh, SB Nation, blogging the brackets, talking about uh, Villanova right now. Chris, I'm real curious. Trent and I had a discussion yesterday, and we came pretty much to the conclusion that Villanova gets great respect from basketball people who cover the the game, but nationally, they're never really, by fans, included in the top five or so. Mm-hmm. Is it just because they play in what the Big East is now and they don't get an awful lot of national attention? Is that it? I think that plays a lot, a lot of it. And, you know, granted, FS1 has a lot of coverage, but it's, not, it's still not the place where people kind of think of when they think of college basketball. They still think, you know, ESPN and they still think CBS. And Fox is still, even though they've been at it for several years now, still very much kind of out of the picture. And I think that really plays a lot of a, a lot of that fact, a, a huge factor in that disrespect card. And I also think that you know those those early first weekend exits really kind of hurt too. But honestly, I think that now that Jay Wright now has two national championships in three years, I think you're going to finally start to see that definitely kind of you know quiet down that 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 line of criticism quiet down for sure. Chris Dobertin taking a look at the college basketball season with us. Hey, Chris, uh, jumping to next season, I know everybody has come out with, uh, well, their run at next season and their top 25s. You'll have your first bracket later on. We'll let you get through the summer before we're demanding that. But uh, who are some of the teams at the top for you? Who are some of the teams that you're looking at for uh, some of your top spots going into next year? I, I think it's, you know it's going to be a lot of the same names. I think it'll be Villanova again, Kansas. I think Duke will be strong again, uh, Kentucky naturally. I think you're going to see some kind of interesting names out of the SEC. I think you'll see Tennessee up there again. I think Mississippi State has a very interesting team coming up. I think LSU is going to be a, a very interesting squad. I think you look at you know Washington and you know depending on what happens with Arizona, I think Washington, uh, UCLA out west. I think that Michigan could be very good again. Michigan State, Ohio State, definitely in the second year of the Chris Holtman era is going to be a very interesting squad. So yeah, I think those are kind of the teams I'm looking for. Not really anybody really kind of new and you know coming out of nowhere. But yeah, I think that you could see a team like Nevada, you know, 
or Loyola, again, kind of going in there with Gonzaga as kind of being your top mid-majors and being a threat for, you know, a top-four seed and maybe even a number one if things go, you know, if things break correctly and the schedules work out for them. You know, you just referenced Gonzaga. They turned down an offer to join the Mountain West Conference, a bigger profile uh, conference than the West Coast Conference. Uh, good thing, bad thing. Uh, do you eventually see Gonzaga shifting, or do you think they're just happy being the team of that conference? I think it works better for them because going into the Mountain West would have been a very different cultural fit for them. They're in a conference right now with the WCC, where every single one of those schools is a faith-based institution. Every school in the Mountain West is a state school of some sort, with Air Force Academy naturally being a, a federally government institution. Very different culture. You know, if Mark Few leaves, you know, even if he doesn't, if he retires, that program's, you know, tenor, tenor might change completely. And then, you know, then you're stuck potentially in the Mountain West, which is not necessarily a great cultural fit. And one thing that, you know, we talk about Villanova and FS1 and Fox, you know, Gonzaga has a pretty good deal with the WCC in terms of getting their games on ESPN and ESPN3. You go to the Mountain West, and they're going on the CBS Sports Network and occasional games on ESPN. They don't get the coverage that they're going to get even with the WCC right now. So I think that was really a big factor for them was keeping themselves kind of in that ESPN family to get that national attention pretty consistently. It's uh, going to be a great, great season. Looking forward to it as always. Chris, thanks for your time all season long. I mentioned that first bracket, so we're, we're not going to get a glimpse here. Nothing at all. Well, all right, how about this? I, I, we'll, we'll localize it. Iowa State, I, I feel like the Cyclones have the best chance of being a tournament team out yeah. of our four in-state schools going into yeah. next year. Do you see the Cyclones right now looking from very far away? I get it. Do you see them being in the mix to be a tournament team next year? Yeah, absolutely, because, I mean, you look at what the Big 12 is and, and what it's going to still have next year, and all 10 teams, including Iowa State, who did finish, you know, finish last, kind of finished far out compared to everybody else, but there's no league where you're going to be able to really be able to make up ground nationally like you can in the Big 12, and Iowa State is, is going to be well-positioned to be able to do that. It's always good, pal, when we catch up with you. Uh, thank you so much for the great info that you uh, supplied to us the entire college basketball season. We'll keep checking in with you from time to time. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much. That's Chris Dobertine right there, SB Nation, blogging the bracket. Great stuff the entire basketball season from him. He, he's, he's sensational, and look, the, the way that he breaks things down, Trent, it's easy to understand. It's, he makes it like, okay, I'm, I'm a fan, even though he's dialed in, but he presents it like a fan would want it uh, for easy comprehension. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been great information. I mentioned it throughout the summer. If you're wondering about schedules, you're wondering about tournaments coming up, all those different things, it, it's certainly a big part of it. And uh, it, it's just a great reference point that I love using all throughout the season. Chris does a good job with that, Jimmy B. So uh, as I mentioned, a lot of the top 25s are out right now. I've seen Kansas at number mm -hmm. one in many of them. You like the Jayhawks. Again, there's going to be a lot of decisions that will be made, a lot of guys that are going to be putting their name into the draft. But Kansas at number one, there's some big expectations right away. Well, look, they're always in the top ten. So 
I, I've seen those as well. I've seen Duke at number one on a few uh, uh, predictions as well. But look, they've they've got talent. Bill Self, do you do you think this was one of Bill Self's best coaching jobs this year? Yeah, it's certainly up there. Absolutely, from from yeah. the team that we saw earlier this year. You know, the loss to right. Washington, the near loss to Nebraska. It just. It never had that feeling the way they were drubbed by Texas Tech early on and, and what they became, absolutely. That that win against Duke, I, I think, uh, cemented itself. Certainly one of his best mm-hmm. coaching jobs, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I, I really thought that, that uh, he showed his uh, his wealth of ability to coach this season, and he did it with two players who never even got on the court. So, you know, it's one of those things where if you're a Kansas fan – you got to go, oh, man, geez, look look what happened to us here in the Final Four. But if you're a basketball fan, you realize the lack of talent that his team normally has wasn't the same talent that he, that he normally has on the court, and he did a lot more with it by getting to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt, no doubt with that. So Kansas, uh, number one, seeing a lot of Duke. Mm-hmm. They're going to welcome in the top yep. three players in the country it's uh it's very interesting it, it really is uh, looking at these things i was surprised i see nevada in a couple of those ranked in the top 10 you know they got the martin brothers possibly coming back all those different things it, it's uh well that time of year jimmy b so locally iowa state i have them as a tournament team at the very least are you in the same boat I do have them as an NCAA tournament team. Yes, I, I do. As long, you know, I mean, injuries uh, aside, and that can happen to anybody. We know that. But yes, with the two guys that you and I have talked about throughout the season, Shyock and Jacobson, and then with a couple of recruits and the freshman who got lots and lots and lots of minutes this season. I look for Iowa State to be greatly improved, and I believe they're going to give uh, fits to most teams now in the Big 12 next season. So, uh, Iowa, I think they're going to be better. I don't think they can be much worse than they were this season. Agree. But tournament team, the the Big Ten kind of looking at things next season, I don't think the Big Ten's going to be very good again next year. You know, you might have something there. And if it is another down year, maybe maybe they could sneak in some way, Trent. Maybe. But, look, uh, we talked to Tom Cakert yesterday. He doesn't think Tyler Cook's coming back. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's the case, they lose that scoring option. And I, I just think that I, – I don't know. I have to see how – Fran McCaffrey, you know, fits this team together. Look, we we know that they can score points, but they have to create. Look, they don't have to be the greatest defensive. They don't have to be Virginia. All right, you don't have to play defense like Virginia. You don't have to play defense like Nova or Wisconsin, but you have to be in the middle someplace because of your offensive propensity to put points on the on the scoreboard that can win you a lot of games this past season they could score they couldn't stop anybody so didn't they give up like 98 to Nebraska in that game and they scored like 83 or 84 that's you know I mean they had a lot of games like that where they scored in the 80s and yet still lost in double figures 
So there's, uh, they're going to have to have some sort of change in their scheme defensively in in order, I think, to truly be uh, competitive and have that shot uh, to try to get into the uh, to the big dance again. You and I, oh, they they need help up front still. They do. Guard court's yep. going to be good. They welcome in a top 100 player in AJ Green, who's going to be ridiculously good for them. But they need more. They need more there. And Drake, well, DeVries has got to rebuild in front of him. And the MVC is going to be good next year, Jimmy B. I think yes. it's going to be really good. I, I think you're right. Um, uh, I think it's it's going to be a a, a much better conference. And Loyola is going to be at the top of that conference again. And Porter Mosier all of a sudden's kind of got it going on. And with the exposure that they got and the money that they made, I think they made, what, like $8 million, something like that, with the, with the uh, amount of wins that they strung together in the tournament. Uh, look, that's going to be very, very beneficial. And what people have to understand is, is that for each win, the conference gets uh, big-time money. So I think Loyola, and I, I think I saw this. It's somewhere between 140 and 150. I, I think per school for the next five or six years, something like that. So from that aspect, uh, the uh, the Valley can thank Loyola for the job that they did. Absolutely, a lot of money coming their way. That's a good thing, certainly. For the MVC, I think Illinois State's going to be much improved. Southern finished second this year. They're going to be good. They welcome a ton of guys back. I mean, Loyola brings back, what, six of their top eight going into next year. It's going to be a very, very good year, I think, for the MVC. We're going to turn our attention coming up on the other side. We're going to get into a little bit of golf. We go down to Augusta next. Brendan Porath is going to join us. Great writer. He'll be on. We'll talk a little bit about what we saw earlier today. Phil and Tiger getting together. Tiger's chances and a whole lot more. We're talking Masters next. You can hear the Masters right here on 1700. Coming your way starting on Thursday in between our shows from 12 until 2 with myself and and Ken Miller and 4 and 6 with Jimmy B and TC. 2 to 4 on Thursday and Friday and then over the weekend as well. Going to be a lot of fun with the Masters. We have you covered here on 1700. KBGG. Welcome back. Time to turn our attention to the Masters as uh, we get ready for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Augusta. Down there right now, Brandon Porath with SB Nation wrote great article talking about the last time Tiger was on the course at Augusta at the Masters. And uh, now fast forward and, and how different things are certainly here today. Brandon, how are things down in Augusta? They're fantastic. Trent, Jim, thanks for having me. I, I left uh, Washington, D.C. yesterday. It was, you know, a brisk, you know, in the mid-30s where there was some wintry mix, and now it's 87 here in Augusta. Looks like we're going to get I, some rain here, you know, over the course yeah. of the week, but can't complain. It's great to be here. It's, you know, one of the best weeks of the year. Uh, it certainly is, and it'll even be a better week now that Tiger Woods is back playing competitively, and he's playing well. Look, I've looked, I've watched all the interviews from Fred Couples to Phil Mickelson, all talking about how Tiger is striking the ball. Did you get a chance to to see any of their uh, action today when they all played together in a practice round? I did. I went out there. I got to the 10th tee this morning at about 8.30. I mean, once I heard last night that he was playing with Phil, it's kind of like can't miss. You know, you really want to check that out. And, you know, you, sometimes you can glean some things from these practice rounds. Other times it's just kind of a 
a hit and giggle and you don't really, it's not indicative of necessarily the way a player is striking the ball. But it was so fun to watch, and, and they were loving each other, loving, loving being out there together, uh, which is a complete reversal from everything we've, we've kind of experienced over the last 20 years. Uh, but watching Tiger hit the ball was impressive again. Uh, Freddie Couple said it last, yesterday that it was, I, I forget the word, brilliant. Thomas Peters said something similar today, walking off the course, and how great he looks. You know, these aren't kind of hollow, just hyperbole, uh, coming off the course. He's really putting on a show. And I, I watched one shot today that kind of will stick with me for the rest of the week is, is an approach shot on 13. And we know that hole is, is gettable for some of these guys who can now hit it this far. And, and a lot of them don't even hit driver. But he just striped one. He knows that front right pin. And it's kind of that low liner from a hanging lie. And he put it like right on top of the pin and, and put it in an eagle. And he also eagled 15. So just, just that approach shot to 13 is certainly something that will stick with me that gives me even more confidence that, that he knows exactly the shots he wants to play around here. Brennan, we continue to hear about the change in Tiger, just how different he is. And, you know, you see the cutaways on TV and you see the smiles, but you can always doctor those. But, but being a media member, being able to interview him throughout the years, just if you can explain what this change is all about and the, the softer Tiger, if you will. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, there will always be a question about whether it's genuine or not. And it, just because he's he lived his life, entire life in a fishbowl, and you, you just don't know, you know, what, what what kind of errors he needs to put on. Um, but he does seem to have kind of a new lease on life. He, he, he's much more forthcoming, much more uh, detailed and kind of engaging with his responses. Um, and certainly with others too, whether it's the press or the his colleagues or it's the gallery, the patrons, the fans. Um, there's there's a difference there. It's observable. Now, is it genuine? I think it probably is. But but I, I you know we can't we don't want to you know put him up on a pedestal too high here. But he he's really looks to be you know having having a new lease on life. He, he said last week. He's a walking miracle. He's gotten a second chance here. I think some of that's really taken root in him. You know, he's, he's lived his whole life as the kind of the most dominant guy and everyone wanting a piece of him. And, and, and I don't know if he's always been the most trustworthy of everyone around him, thinking everyone wanted a piece of him for one reason or another. And um, certainly the depths of the last two to three years have maybe given him a different perspective. And, and, and being an assistant captain on those team events, the Ryder Cup and President's Cup, we know for a fact from, in, from those players and other captains inside the room how he has changed uh, with, with his colleagues and his approach to his colleagues in those events. <clears throat> I think that's now had an impact on his you know, reentry to the individual sport, the individual game. So, so it's an observable change, um, but you, you, know, you want to exercise some caution. Wouldn't it be just absolutely sensational that on – Sunday, the final grouping is Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson. I mean, the television rating, they would blow up TV across the nation if that took place. <laughs> it would be as good as it gets. I mean, we're, <laughs> I, would, uh, I don't know if I'd be able to do my job. I'd be too excited from a personal <laughs> standpoint. It would be hard to, hard to kind of keep my thoughts and head about it. Uh, but that's, that's what's so great about this 2018 Masters is, we have so many opportunities and so many possibilities. Um, and, and, 
you know, you come into every Masters with a certain enthusiasm and excitement because it is the Masters, and a lot of times you might get carried away, but but I don't think we're being out of line saying this is the most anticipated Masters ever just because of that Tiger comeback story, because of Phil becoming the oldest to win it, because of Rory being able to become the sixth to win a career slam, and because so many other players like Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson, um, even now even Jordan Spieth are playing well. Um, there's just so many possibilities. And the one thing about the Masters is it's a smaller field. You know, there's only 87 players here, whereas you know the, the other three majors have 156 players. And of those 87 at the Masters, you know, a lot of them are, am- you know, well, a handful of amateurs, and there, there are a lot of past champions that are, you can kind of take out of it. So we're kind of guaranteed to have something, something there on Sunday. Now, we may not get the biggest name winner, but we should have something to, to kind of really strap in for on Sunday. It, it, Tiger Phil would be obviously number one or 1A, but because of the, the field size, you know, we often get those big names, at least around the first page of the leaderboard. You know, we, we love uh, the redemption story just across the board, and the greatest redemption story would be Tiger Woods. If it's not Tiger, though, if there isn't something like that, last year we got to see Sergio finally win that first Masters. What's the storyline outside of Tiger that you're rooting the most for? I, I want the Rory Phil uh, head-to-head battle more than anything, quite honestly. Um, I think throughout golf and Jeff Shackelford, who, who appears on Golf Channel quite a bit, um, he makes this great point that over the course of the, the decades in golf, there's always been these cross-generational battles, whether it's Palmer and Nicholas and Nicholas <laughs> on to Tom Watson. And, and all through, there's like these cross-generational, I don't know, it's not necessarily handing of the baton, but because golf, you can be good for so long, 20, 25-year career, you end up having these intergenerational battles. Um, we haven't really had that recently, and I think Phil and Rory would be <laughs> as good as it gets, given the history there with, with the competing narratives of trying to become the sixth player to win the Grand Slam and, and beat Phil to it, because Phil still has that U.S. Open outstanding, of course, and Phil becoming <clears throat> just the fourth player to win four Green Jackets. That, that four Green Jacket club is pretty exclusive with Tiger, Jack, and Arnie. I mean, that's as good as it gets. So I think, like, Phil versus Rory would really, really light, light it up for me. Uh, we're having a great conversation right now. Brendan Porath is our guest, SB Nation, great golf writer. He is in Augusta uh, getting ready for the Masters. The tournament itself, and you spoke about it, is pared down, but the greatest names in golf are all there do you expect record crowds as well just because of the Tiger factor? Or if he wasn't there, would the crowd still be maybe a record as well? Uh, I mean, I think the crowd size is always the same at Augusta. It's everybody comes because Augusta, the Masters, is still the Masters. So, and they, they, they limit tickets. They're not looking to kind of really break any records or set any new, you know, blow it up here without having – wall-to-wall people. So I, I think, you know, ticket prices may hit a record. Uh, the people will still be the, the same amount as they always are usually, but the prices to get in may hit a record. The TV ratings may hit a record. And, you know, I think, I, I, quite honestly, I think it's inevitable if he makes the weekend and, and is in the hot. The, the story is that good. The comeback is that unexpected um, that, that, you know, we're looking at a bunch of different records that are ready to fall. 
Well, speaking of those prices, do you have any idea? Of course, you you got your media badge, so you're good there. You don't have to worry about paying the prices, but have you been hearing uh, what they're going for, either practice round uh, here, and I'm sure they probably ballooned up with Tiger and Phil getting together uh, earlier today and then into the weekend when we get to the actual play. Have you heard a quote? And, And what does it normally cost? If you just go down there without a ticket, any idea what it normally costs compared to what it's going to be this year? I'm not a, I'm not a good expert on this, but I did see I saw earlier this week that something uh, they were up like sixteen hundred dollars more than last year for Thursday. I think they're around like twenty six, twenty seven hundred dollars okay. just to get in the first round. <laughs> I think you know these practice rounds are spending four figures for sure, somewhere between a thousand and wow. you know two thousand dollars. So it's a, it's a pricey ticket, and then you feel horrible tomorrow. They got the part three contest, which was rained out last year because of lightning. Um, and it looks like there might be some poor weather coming in again tomorrow. So it's always a little bit of a risk there to, to you know, you feel horrible for those people who kind of shell out, and then if the weather doesn't cooperate, you're out of luck. Um, is the forecast then better after tomorrow's rain, or have you gone that far to look? Uh, <laughs> I've looked. you, you got to keep your eye on it. It looks like Saturday is going to be rough. I, last I saw it was 90% chance of rain, and, Temperatures kind of in the mid 50s, the lower 60s. So Saturday, you know, it's always subject to change. We're still four or five days away from that, but uh, Saturday looks looks ominous right now. And in terms of now, is it going to be rain that halts play, or just kind of a a, a misting rain and 55 degree temperatures? Either way, it's probably not going to be pleasant. Very interesting. Good stuff as always. Hey, Brendan, uh, appreciate you joining us here today. Before we let you go. Let's uh, get some picks. Let's get some names thrown out there. Let's right. let's start with Tiger. What what do you anticipate if you you know are you looking at a, at a top ten finish making the cut? What are you looking for with Tiger? Uh, top ten for sure. I, I think he's going to make the cut for sure. Like I said, it's a little easier to make the cut here with the, the smaller field, and it's a little easier to kind of play your way into the top ten because there's a smaller field. I think this is you know I would have called myself delusional saying this <laughs> a couple months ago. But he's played so well in these last five starts. He's, he's a competitive golfer. He's in the top ten in the PGA Tour in strokes game. The stats, you know, it doesn't just look good. The stats kind of underlie and back it up. Um, so I, I think he's playing well enough. He knows Augusta. He can, he can kind of top ten in his sleep here, even when he hasn't had any reps or hasn't been here in a few years. We've seen that happen, whether it was 2010 or 2015, he came in pretty cold right off of, of a long layoff and made and was competitive and had top 10 results. Um, I, I think, you know, a top 10, I'm not going to say it's a given, but I think it's likely. I don't think he wins, but I think that is likely. Let's go next to the Iowans. Zach Johnson has a green jacket already to his credit. Obviously didn't, uh, didn't fire out a, a 10 or 12 under though, to get that championship. Zach sure. appears to be in pretty good form though, at least going into this one expectations for Zach going into the week. Zach is like, you know, he's just one of the best ball strikers the game's ever seen. And that can get you, I can get you far on all kinds of layouts. I think, you know, the distance advantage has really kind of hurt him. You know, the way Augusta really advantages, advantages the longer hitters. Um, we know Zach's not that one, but you know, if he gets on a good ball striking run, which he is, you know, he's one of the best ball strikers ever, he can certainly compete. I wouldn't anticipate him making the cut. And, you know, maybe, maybe he kind of pushes his way inside that top 20 come Sunday. 
Zach knows this place as well as anyone, you know, and, and it's just a matter of kind of he's going to be in different positions than Dustin Johnson and Tiger now. He's just it's a matter of whether he, he knows the spots to play to and, and can he execute. Uh, you just referenced Dustin Johnson. Last year, he fell downstairs because he had some slippery socks on. <laughs> he tweeted out today pictures of different socks that have traction cups on them. I thought that was pretty uh, pretty funny. Yeah, how do you how do you rate uh, Johnson for that? Uh, he's certainly not coming in in the same you know form as last year, but he's still the number one player in the world. He's been competitive at every start he's made this year. Um, I, I think, quite honestly, he's weird. He's kind of flying under the radar as the number one player in the world, thanks to Tiger and Rory winning, Phil winning, and Justin Thomas winning. Uh, he's a little bit kind of under the radar, whereas last year he was the very, very obvious favorite and obvious pick. But uh, I, w- I would anticipate another top ten from him. He, there's no way he can't contend. He's just too talented. All right, last one for me. I'll let Jim finish up with you here. Justin Thomas, a guy that's kind of overlooked with the Bubba's and the Rory's and the Sergio's and Spieth and Tiger, obviously, Dustin Johnson, Phil, all these different names. I think an argument could be made. Your PGA winner, the only guy that could win two majors in a row, Justin Thomas. Is he being overlooked, or is that maybe just more the casual fans overlooking Thomas? I think, yeah, that's probably true. Casual fans are overlooking. But even like the hardcore golf fans might be just because like I said, it's so crowded right now with juicy stories and, and amazing potential. Uh, if Thomas wins, would it surprise anyone who watches golf? No. I mean, he's almost the number one player in the world. He's been the best player in the world really for over a year now. So it wouldn't be surprising to see him win. It's just there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of stories competing for the headlines right now. Um, I'll let you go then on this one. You've been on the course. Is the course as pristine and immaculate as it looks on TV? Yes, <laughs> probably more pristine and immaculate because you're in real life and you can't believe it's that it's that perfect. Every blade of grass, every edge, every every bush, everything is perfect. <laughs> What a place. Brendan, uh, incredibly jealous that you're there, but we love that we're able to get some coverage from you down there. SBNation.com, find the golf tab, do great work, and, and I want to tell you again just how much I enjoyed it. It was a long read, but your read you had up, uh, I believe, yesterday about Tiger Woods, his return to the Masters. Very well done. A thank you to you and, and everybody out there. Give a read to that. It'll get you set up for Tiger over the weekend. Uh, going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Brendan. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on, as usual. I love it. Absolutely. Brendan Porath, SB Nation. You can find him on Twitter as well, at Brendan Porath. And uh, good to get down there, Jimmy B. Have you ever been yeah. to the Masters before? Yes. Yeah, I've gone twice. And uh, uh, many, many years back, mm-hmm. but still, it's it, it's like nothing that you have ever covered because it is an event each day. You never know uh, who's going to come up with an unbelievable shot that just makes you shake your head. Right. And 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 the way that and when he talked about the course, every blade of grass, I'm telling you, it's like no other golf course. You know, when you and I go out to play, right? Yeah. We're not playing the Masters course here. <laughs> right, All right. right. We're not. We're not doing that. So it. 
when you when you see the uh, on television and you see the pristineness of the course, it's probably five times better in person the way that it actually looks. Um, people talk about it the first time that you see the course, and, and it's it's almost impossible to describe in, until you see it. And you know, with the with the advances in television now and HD TVs, that you get even a better glimpse, but people say you don't understand the undulation, you know, just how the course, the elevation changes that you go through. It's uh, it's a site that I hope to get my eyes on someday. Someday, got to make my way down to Augusta. This will not be the year, but sometime, Jimmy B., sometime. <laughs> okay. I hope you get there, pal, <laughs> because being a golf guy like I know you are, and I know you like to play, uh, you will indeed really appreciate it. Well, we'll take a time out here. We got still a lot more to come. We're going to put a cap on things on the other side. What we're watching tonight, we'll do that next year as we take you up until 6 o'clock tonight. It's Jimmy B and TC. Welcome back, everybody. It's our final short segment here, and then we are done for a Tuesday. Trent, look, uh, last night, the game, we all were both dialed into that. I even started watching, you're not going to believe this, I even started watching some of the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, uh, and then it was tied and it went into extra innings, and that game went like 23 and a half hours before there was finally a, a winner in that game. I'm telling you right now, that runner at second base, you play the 10th and 11th if nobody scores, Put the runner at second base in the 12th, and let's get this thing over with. Well, I don't know. I, I still have a problem with it. I, I certainly... It went almost six hours. All right. Six hours that game. Did, yeah. did that hurt you? No, I was asleep. Right, right, as most everybody else was. I mean, it just... Play the thing out. I I don't know. I, I like the rule. I think it was Joe Madden that came up, or, or the idea is if you have a game that goes, say... 12 innings or more, you're allowed an extra roster spot for a couple days afterwards to bring up another pitcher, help out that bullpen, help out the staff. I, okay. I do like that idea. I, I absolutely am vehemently opposed to the people that say right away in extra innings you put a runner on. Absolutely not. No. I, yeah. no uh-uh. 12th inning, 13th inning, you know, something like yeah. that. All right, I can, I can start to buy in a little bit at that point, but... Is it broke? I mean, is is it really hurting the fabric no. things? No, nobody's no. sticking around. If you're on, you're watching it still. That's all well and good, but I don't know. By by that point, play the thing out. I one thing I don't want to see is ties. Let's let's not get into the ties. Yeah, we we don't want to fall into that one. Don't no. want to go there. Well, baseball tonight. Any baseball catching your high your eye this evening, Jimmy B? What are you looking for? Well, I'm going to be dialed into the NBA because there's some really good games tonight. But baseball-wise, I'll probably, I'm going to kind of poke my head in a little bit. And you know me, Trent. I'm not like a team guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a players guy. Bryce Harper has, like, come out of the gates just blasting. So I, I will probably sample a little bit of Washington at Atlanta. He's already got three home runs. And... Uh, he's just on a tear uh, right right from the right from the opening uh, get go. So I'll probably when he when I know he's coming up, uh, I will probably flip over and and watch a little bit of Bryce Harper at the plate. So that's something baseball wise that I'll look at. I may look in because it's the later game, uh, the Cleveland Los Angeles Angels game. Yeah. 
just so I just so I kind of get a feel for what the the Indians are doing. And I'm a big Mike Trout fan, so I just mm-hmm. like to watch Trout Trout play, especially when he's hitting. Get St. Louis, Milwaukee, a couple local teams involved. The Cubs yeah. are just underway right now, so be watching that one when I get back tonight. Absolutely, kind of in the same boat with you, and uh, that's baseball. What else, Jimmy B? Hockey? Uh, I, oh, the I, NBA's loaded. Oh, it's NBA's loaded. It's loaded. It's loaded yes, all, all right. It's loaded you? tonight. Yes, because you have the top team in the East, Toronto. At Cleveland tonight, mm. and right now, yeah, right now, LeBron's boys are streaking, so to speak. So that is must-see TV. Also must-see TV tonight, Golden State at Oklahoma City. So Durant back matched up against Westbrook. So from that standpoint, those two games, for me, because of the players involved, it's must-see TV. I got you. All right, you sold me. Yeah. I got to watch something tonight. Okay. So I might check into a little bit of NBA as well. Well, enjoy your sports night here. We got you covered on 1700 KBGG. Big weekend, as mentioned earlier. We got the Masters coming your way and uh, full coverage of that here on 1700 as well with Westwood One. We'll do it tomorrow starting at noon. Myself and Ken Miller, then Jimmy B and TC on your drive home from 4 until 6 o'clock. Have a good night, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.